0: What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Rookie Ball, the podcast where you want to go. If you need to know anything sports, or if you just want to hear my opinion on them, I, of course, am always your host, Phoenix Igas, and everybody, welcome back to Rookie Ball. I hope you had an amazing weekend. And it is time to get into some sports news. Let's get it. Now as promised before we get into March Madness we'll talk about some other news going on in the sports world and yes we're going back to the NFL. I was going to maybe talk about the MLB as spring training games have officially started but I figured I'm going to wait until the season actually starts to go back into the MLB or if another big move happens. Speaking of big moves there's been a few in the NFL. Now there's been some small moves but there's some that I consider big that maybe people will kind of let go under the radar. And that first move was Robert Woods from the Los Angeles Rams was traded to the Tennessee Titans for a six-round pick. And I don't know if you guys remember, but Robert Woods was, of course, injured this past season. But before he was injured, he was one of the top receivers in the NFL. And if he could go back and become that receiver, come back this season from injury, Getting him for a six-round pick is an insane move. One of the, It could be a steal by the Tennessee Titans, and I honestly don't know what the Rams are doing. They are making some moves that will help them go for a repeat this season, but they're also making a lot of moves that are very questionable, moving some of their better players. The second move I want to talk about is by my Cincinnati Bengals. They have officially signed Lael Collins, a right tackle from Dallas. To a three-year contract and it seems like the offensive line is complete we have done all the signings that we want to we have now signed three offensive linemen that will most definitely protect joe burrow and there have been talks that the Bengals are in contention for signing stefan gilmore and they just cut one of our cornerbacks trey waynes so that could be a big sign that we are most likely going to sign him if not it's whatever. We have a good cornerback group, but if we do, I think you guys are underestimating how good of a free agency the Bengals have had. It's gone so under the radar because they're not signing these like, all-pro players, but they're signing the players that they need to to make it for another Super Bowl run. It seems the Atlanta Falcons have moved on from the Matt Ryan era and officially traded him to the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts need a quarterback. They just traded Carson Wentz. The Colts, as I said, are competitive this year and they should be trying to pursue a quarterback that'll help them win now because they have a stellar defense, a great offensive line, and probably a top three running back in the NFL. So they need to find a quarterback that'll be able to balance when the running game isn't able to go as much. And Matt Ryan, I think, is the bar like the lowest they could be to have a competitive quarterback that could lead them to the super bowl now five six years ago matt ryan would have been an amazing player to have alongside that team but he has aged a little bit and his production has gone down slightly so i think this is a good move for both teams atlanta gets to move on from that era of matt ryan and just try to focus on building a team i guess around kyle pitts And then the Colts get what they need because they need to attempt to win now. And Matt Ryan, I think, will help them do that for a few years. And then they'll eventually have to find a new quarterback. And it didn't take long for Atlanta to find a new quarterback. They signed Marcus Mariota to a two-year contract. And I like this move. But along with that, the Saints signed Jameis Winston to officially come back as quarterback. So I'm really questioning... Where is Baker Mayfield going to go? Like, What team is he going to play for? There's not many teams left to truly need a quarterback. Really, now that I'm thinking about it, it's only Seattle. And Seattle just traded for Drew Locke, so it's really if they think that Drew Locke can be their quarterback. If not, they should be making a move for Baker. If they do, then I don't know. I feel like Baker is better than a decent amount of starters right now in the NFL. So I think it'll be a shame if he ends up becoming a backup quarterback. Which brings me to my final move that happened. And yes, I'm talking about the move that Cleveland just made to acquire quarterback Deshaun Watson from the Houston Texans. And I understand, yes, this makes Cleveland more competitive. But... One, you hurt a relationship with a quarterback that has essentially changed your franchise around in Baker Mayfield. I know a lot of people might not think that, but Baker really did change the culture in Cleveland. He actually made them competitive at times. And now he's gone. You've hurt that relationship with him. And you bring in Deshaun Watson, who does not, I don't know, he you get reports from twenty two women about about sexual assault and happen to believe that he is guilty. I you know, I may be wrong, but I believe that he's guilty and I think I think it's just really disappointing that he gets to continue to play alongside a player in Kareem Hunt, who should have also had an extended suspension. Cleveland still doesn't scare me in the AFC North. I think they just have a curse on them, so Deshaun Watson, you're on Cleveland now. I hope Baker, even though he is a cocky guy, I do like Baker. And I hope he finds a team to play with. So that, you know, he gets a chance to prove everyone wrong. Because I think at a time Baker might have been compared to a Deshaun Watson in his second year. But now he is not. Now let's get into some madness. The round of 32 has just concluded in the NCAA March Madness bracket or tournament, whatever you want to call it. And I want to analyze each game from the round of 32 and actually go into them. The time that I talked about some of the games from the round of 64, I just did like a one sentence on each of them because we had some stuff to talk about in other sports. But I want to use this episode to actually really focus, talk about each game. And actually analyze each one because i did watch every game live compared to when i did the round of 64 i watched most of them live but some of them i just had to watch the highlights on the first game that happened in the round of 32 was by far the most exciting game and maybe one of the greatest sports games i've ever watched in my entire life and that was north carolina upsetting number one baylor in overtime and for those of you who didn't watch, Baylor was down by 22 with about, I don't, it was maybe like 11, 10 minutes left around there, and they came back and tied it up with North Carolina, so everyone thought the momentum was with Baylor. Obviously, they're the returning champs, and they're the number one seed going against an eight seed, so everyone was pretty sure that they were going to be able to close this out, and North Carolina kind of dominated over time. North Carolina came out in the first half completely destroyed Baylor it seemed like it was already over Baylor made one of the greatest comebacks in March Madness history in fact it was tied for the biggest deficit conquered but they did not go on to win the game North Carolina pulled away in overtime and watching this game my jaw was open the entire second half in overtime I said that I watched all the games, and when I saw the first half score, I almost thought about clicking off of that game. But I decided not to, and I'm so glad that I decided to, because it was one of the most exciting games I've ever seen in any sport. The second game that happened was another close game between a one seed in Kansas and number nine seeded Creighton. This game was going neck and neck all the way until like the last five minutes of this game and then Kansas did what Baylor could not. Now I understand Baylor may have had nothing left in the tank after they made the comeback but Kansas just proved why they were a number one seed. They stayed composed and they went on to win this game. They hit their free throws and that's all it takes. If you're in a close game like this it truly just depends on who can make their free throws and who can stay composed the most? And with this game, it was Kansas. Now, that's not to put anything down on Creighton. They played an amazing game. I don't think anyone even expected them to be in this round of 32, but they did. And they put up a real fight against most likely a title favorite in Kansas. But Kansas continues to move on. They saw the three and two seed fall in their conference or their their side of the bracket uh, in the round of 32 so they look very good to make a final four run after the one seed defeated the nine seed we went back to having an upset as Michigan the number 11 seed Michigan and I talked about them in the last episode I just I didn't expect them to be good because they truly were a team that didn't deserve to be in this but obviously they have proved that they much deserved this as they went on to beat number three seeded Tennessee, who, you know, is, was predicted to be one of the biggest dark horses to make the Final Four. You know, a lot of people probably had them going to at least the Elite Eight because they looked very dominant in their first win. They beat their first win by like 40 points. And I gotta say, Michigan just kind of held this one the entire time. There wasn't really a moment where I was watching, where I didn't think Michigan was going to win this game. Tennessee had sparks at moments, but then it seemed Michigan just seemed to calm it down. They would go on these scoring streaks and then it would just end. But I, I don't know. The Michigan looks actually scary. And they're going on to face Villanova this next game for a spot at the Elite Eight. And if they're able to beat Tennessee, they might be able to put up a game against Villanova. But I guess we'll see. Michigan, they were just splashing threes. It seemed like they had more composure than Tennessee. And as I said, that's all it comes down to at the end of the game. If it's a close one or if you have a slight lead, you just got to stay composed and you got to make your free throws. Bars. But then the upset seemed to subside for the rest of the for the rest of the first night as Providence put a beat down on Richmond. This game I actually don't need to put much analysis on. Richmond, you know, edged out Iowa in the first round. Do I think Iowa would have put up a better fight against Providence? Unfortunately, yes. I do think Richmond. They didn't get lucky on calls or anything. I think they just had a really good day in terms of playing and they were able to beat Iowa I also think Iowa was a little up in their heads the entire game so yeah I think Iowa probably would have even beaten Providence but Providence put a smack down on Richmond 79 to 51 and it wasn't close at any point in this game Providence was up big at half there was no spark in the second half where Richmond could come back Providence dominated this game, and there's not much else to say about it. Now, a game that I very happily predicted, UCLA went on to beat St. Mary's 72-56. to As I said in my last episode, I'm in a bracket pool with some of my co-workers at work, and both of them picked St. Mary's to go on and win this game, but I did not, because UCLA, as I said, is so competitive. They are a Final Four team. And now that Baylor and Kentucky are both out of their region, it truly comes down to them and Purdue for me. I think North Carolina can put up a fight against UCLA, but I have UCLA winning the game. And I don't know. UCLA looked very good. St. Mary's, you know, when you get beat 72-56, to you obviously just were not on your A game. St. Mary's looked dominant in their first-round game. UCLA did not look dominant. But that never made me lose faith. I think UCLA is just straight up a better team. And obviously have a lot more experience in the March Madness tournament than St. Mary's. Who has not been in there much. And I think that proved that experience sometimes does really matter in this tournament. Whether you have a really good team or not. You do have to have the experience of that pressure of being in a tournament like this. But the pressure of the tournament obviously did not get... To the number 15 seeded St. Peters, who beat number seven seeded Murray State 70 to 60. And I've seen a lot of Kentucky fans start rooting for them because obviously they beat them. I'm a Saudi fan, as I said I was. I want them to get destroyed by someone. I don't care who it is, when it is, but someone needs to destroy them and just break their confidence completely. When you are getting beat by a guy named Doug, you have you have the right to be a little bit salty. But Saint Peter's moves on and this is I believe the farthest or tied for the farthest the 15 seed has ever made it in the tournament. And I'd rather not have them be the one to break the record because they did beat my team in Kentucky. So I don't want my team being upset to be remembered for letting the team go on as far as they possibly could now the next game that happened that night is by far my most least exciting game of the night now it's not because uh, one team dominated or anything it actually was a close game but it was so low scoring it reminded me the Ohio State and Loyola Chicago game because it was just so boring there wasn't much scoring and with a long no scoring Most of the shots that were taken, because there were a decent amount of them, did not go in. Arkansas, number four seeded Arkansas, beats number 12 seeded New Mexico State, 53 to 48. And it's not the lowest scoring game ever, but it is one of them. I watched this game as hard as it was. At the end, it really just came down to free throws. Arkansas was able to hit a few of them. There were some weird calls in this game. But Arkansas goes on and will face Gonzaga in the Sweet 16, I think outside of a Final Four matchup that Arkansas presents one of the biggest challenges for Gonzaga because a lot of people are saying that Arkansas are frauds uh, because both of their games so far in this tournament have been very close and decently low scoring. But I disagree. I think Arkansas has proved enough that they can hold a team to a low amount of points and their defense is good enough to hold a team down now after a bunch of boring games it was super exciting to see such a light up game as it was with number one gonzaga beating number nine memphis 82 to 78 this one came down to the wire memphis looked like they had a lot of momentum going into the second half they were up on gonzaga and they started to score buckets they stayed neck and neck with them the entire way but then as i said it always comes down to who can keep their composure gonzaga has more experience in the spotlight memphis obviously wasn't even in the tournament at all last year and gonzaga was they actually reached the national championship and it truly came down to the team that was just able to knock down their free throws and that was gonzaga Memphis had a couple of missed free throws, they had a couple possessions where they just hurried off a shot, and that's how it works at the end of the day. You just gotta be the team that can calm down. Starting off the second day of the round of 32 was Houston and Illinois, and man, there were some there were some calls in this game, but I think even if the calls weren't made, that Houston would go on to win this game as they did, 68-53, to and yeah, there were questionable calls, Houston, I think, didn't play their best basketball, but they have proved that they could be making a run for the Final Four in this bracket as they have been one of the more impressive teams so far in terms of handling their matchups. Illinois, I don't think, was a contender for the Final Four. I thought they were a fraudulent four-seeded team. If they were more around the 6-8 to seed, I think they would be... Fairly ranked, but as a four seed, I just didn't see them as that competitive, and Houston proved that by beating them by 15. The second game was one I watched intensely because Ohio State and Villanova stayed competitive almost up until like the last three minutes. It was tied, one team was getting the momentum, and then the other would, but then Villanova just started hitting shots, and Ohio State was also making shots, but Villanova just made three after three after three, and eventually those add up. When you're able to make threes and the other team can only make twos, it adds up to the point where you cannot catch up anymore. And at one point, Villanova went up eight with about a minute left. Ohio State hit some great shots, but I don't think it's very possible to come back from down eight. With a minute left and it proved because Villanova continued to make their free throws for the rest of the minute and won 71 to 61. Ohio State was a team that I think could have made a run if they had just made it past this round because they looked like they were able to compete with a team like Loyola like Villanova and obviously Tennessee just got eliminated so they would be playing against Michigan. But Villanova is also a very competitive team and most likely looking to make a Final Four run along with all of the other teams in their region. But I think it would have been nice to see an upset here because Ohio State has been put down a lot and become these frauds apparently of the tournament. But it is what it is. The next game, although the score may not highlight it, was a great Game between Michigan State and Duke. This game, I mean, talk about Duke duking it out. <laughs> Play that, but Michigan State stayed so competitive with Duke the entire game. It was neck and neck, as most of these games this past weekend were. But Duke, as I said, the team that's just able to stay more composed, and it typically is the better seed. They just went on to win this game because they were able to hit shots late in the game and Michigan State had a chance to upset Duke just like they did back in 2019 I believe or it was either 2018 or 2019 but they were not able to do that Duke goes on to play Texas Tech in the next round. The next game is also going down as one of my most boring games of the weekend. And it sucks because it was a huge upset as number 11 seeded Iowa State defeats number three Wisconsin 54-49. And I would be so much more excited about this if the field goal percentage from both of these teams combined wasn't under 40%. Well, think about that number right now. The field goal percentage, the amount of shots taken that actually went in was under 40%. So you're watching over 70% of baskets, or sorry, you're watching over 60% of baskets not go in when they're shot. And it proves because the score was only 54 to 49. Iowa State, though, I personally like them less as an 11 seed as Michigan. I think michigan is a team that is more experienced in the tournament and i also just like the layout of michigan's teams more so if you're asking me out of the out of the higher seeds left in the tournament i personally like michigan to make more of a run although i think iowa state has an easier road to make a run because obviously they only have to play miami and whoever wins between kansas and providence so I think Iowa State has an easier road, but I like Michigan's layout as a team more. The next game that happened was a controversial one indeed. As number three seeded Texas Tech moves by 11 seeded Notre Dame, 59-53. to 53, But man, there were some calls late in this game that took Notre Dame out of it. As I said with the Houston-Illinois one, I think even if those calls aren't made that Texas Tech escapes with this game... But I think there is definitely more of an argument with this one that Notre Dame probably could have won this one without some of those foul calls. This was definitely a big showing, but I can't tell if it was a big showing of how good Notre Dame actually was or if this is a showing of how competitive every team is with Texas Tech. Because Texas Tech was dominant in their first game, but this game was closer Another going against Duke who was able to handle their first round matchup and even though it was close they scored a lot on Michigan State. So I think Texas Tech really needs to regroup. They have a few days to do it and truly determine how they're going to go on to win this game. Another big upset happened and it was another one that I had predicted. Miami goes on to beat number 2 seeded Auburn 79 to 61. And it was close at times, but kind of once the halfway point of the second half began, Miami kind of just ran away with this one. They were able to hit their free throws, and I like this team. They're going on to face Iowa State, who I think they can definitely beat. And I think Auburn was probably my favorite, or my my top pick to make it out of this region, even though I did pick them to lose this game. So I personally like Miami to go on and win this region honestly. I think they beat Iowa State and I think they beat the best team in this region in Auburn so they only need to beat either Providence or Kansas and yes that'll be a hard matchup indeed but they just handled Auburn by 18 points and even though it was close they were able to defeat USC who was a big dark horse to make it out of the region. I like Miami. I think Miami's fun to watch And I cannot wait to watch them the rest of this tournament because I think they will win at least one more game. Now, the second to last game of the night was number three, Purdue defeating number six, Texas, 81-71. to This game was exciting at points. I think Purdue has a lot to prove because they are the highest seed remaining in their region. And they don't want to let that go to waste as they most likely want to be able to go on and make a Final Four With a team that I think has a high possibility to. And they only need to beat 15-seeded St. Peter's. And then whoever goes on to win between North Carolina and UCLA. So they have a very easy road to make the Final Four. But they have to do what all these great teams have been doing lately. Is staying composed at the end of games. And being able to make your free throws. As I said, I've been repeating it this whole episode. That's all it takes to win these games. But the final game of the round of 32 was an exciting one indeed. As Arizona edges out number 9 TCU 85-80. to 80, And this game went to overtime. And I'll tell you what, the last 30 seconds of this game were insane. The, the no call on the guy falling to the floor was it was so missed it was so missed but it was payback because there was a shot that Arizona put up where a foul was definitely missed but Arizona picked up the ball they drove down and the guy dunked it but it was not in time the buzzer rang and this game was going to overtime Arizona was literal inches maybe even centimeters away from winning this game but then it went to overtime and it stayed neck and neck until like the last minute. But Arizona made a big and one that put them up three. And then they had one more possession left where TCU was not going to foul. And they missed a three, but there was a putback dunk. And it was, the energy after that dunk from not only the audience, but the bench on Arizona, the team on Arizona was electric. They knew that that moment had officially closed the game, put the dagger into TCU, and you could tell just the energy from both of these teams was unmatched by any other game this weekend. Even though I believe that Baylor, North Carolina was the game of the weekend, I think Arizona and TCU had so much emotion behind it. O'Bannon and Lampkin, the power forward and center of TCU, will be remembered in history. I do think that a performance like this Lampkin had 20 points, Bannon had 23 uh, and along with 5 rebounds, while Lampkin had 20 points along with 14 rebounds, a double-double, and it sucks to see players like those go out in the tournament, but Arizona had some dogs as well, Arizona at the end of the game you could just see in their post-game interviews how much they believed in each other, they kind of treated it like they had won the tournament, but I feel like you have to treat every game you win in March Madness like you won the entire thing because there are so many upsets and there's so many unpredictable games that you truly do have to just bask in in the glory of winning every game you can because obviously even if you are a number 1 seed going against a 9 seed, there's no saying when you'll lose a game cuz this one was close. Arizona could have definitely lost this game. So, I think it's nice that they were able to just be happy that they have moved on to the Sweet 16 to play number five seeded Houston, who I think can give them a run for their money. But Arizona and TCU, as much as I like Baylor versus North Carolina, I'm giving Arizona and TCU my game of the Yeah, that's right. We're creating these new things for March Madness. But unfortunately i'm so sorry to say goodbye to all of you that is all the time we have for today's episode but i do hope you guys enjoyed the sweet 16 will start on thursday so you know we'll be talking about it on friday so i hope you guys have a great rest of your week and i will see you guys on friday and i will see you guys on the flippity flip get out of here